Hello. Welcome to Capital Musings, the official podcast of the United Nations Capital Development Fund. I am your host, David McHale. If you have listened to our previous episodes with Esther Pan Sloan, Samuel Horitz, or Jaffer Machano, thank you. If not, you can find those podcasts on our properties as well as our page on Captivate FM, Capital Musings. I am here today with really someone who has emerged within UNCDF both as a strong program leader and also as a thought leader in what is a critical space for UNCDF. And I say that because it's a space where it's not only one work stream, but it really goes through the entirety of our work and throughout our mission, and that's women's economic empowerment. I'm here with Samina Anwar. She is the program manager for the Inclusive and Equitable Local Development Program that is housed within UNCDF as well as within UN Women and UNDP. Great to have you here, Samina. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, David. Great. So let's get started because when we talk about women's economic empowerment, when we talk about gender equity, and maybe this is just me being naive, but my sense is that this has become an issue of universal importance, to, or, or at least near universal importance. I think making the case for gender equity in the professional space is not not really a hard or a high bar anymore. I think the majority of the public sector and the majority of the private sector get it. But when we talk about women's economic empowerment or gender equity in the professional sense, and I'm thinking out of the context of economic development, that conversation becomes so much about upward mobility, about equal pay, and things of that nature. And, and those are obviously very important. But when we talk about women's economic empowerment, there's a very specific meaning as it relates to the development space. So I think just to start off, just We'd love to hear you unpack just the concept of what women's economic empowerment is. So there are two notions, right? Yeah. So you probably heard about local or economic development or Mm -hmm. women's economic development. Sure. And the difference with the women's economic empowerment. If we understand the difference between these two terminologies, it becomes much easier. Great. Because when we talk about development in the economic sense, we are always looking at how our interventions are making a difference in the income levels Mm -hmm. or making sure that more women are kind of part of some income generating activity Mm -hmm. or in some way it is actually helping them to develop economically, Mm -hmm. right? But when it comes to women economic empowerment, Mm -hmm. it's a step up. Okay. That's the kind of a goal that we are trying to achieve overall within UN, but I think for CDF, especially because we work on the investments which are targeting directly to enhancing women's economic levels. Mm-hmm. But we want to see what exactly mean we mean when we say that we have actually empowered a woman economically. Right. So I think the difference here is that we not, not only create those opportunities— mm-hmm you know, through our investments, but which has also enabled the women mm-hmm. to enhance her position, sure. relative position to where she was before, sure. in terms of her leadership, in terms of the decision making, in terms of just being that independence when you feel like you are empowered sure. in any sphere. Sure. You know, if you're looking at it from the household level, right? Sure. That's a different notion where we are saying that, yeah, women can earn more. Women are now able to purchase things or he has more purchasing power. Right. That's that's a minimum bar we are looking at. Okay. But we are saying how 
because of that, she's now able to negotiate better terms vis-a-vis her position in the household. So, yeah, I think that's a great dichotomy. So if we can go deep on that a little bit more, I guess, what are the indicators of success when it comes to women's economic development? And what are the indicators of success when it comes to women's economic empowerment? Economic development, like any other development measures, we look at whether this has actually allowed women to earn more. Sure. Right? Sure. So we are looking at very concrete, quantitative terms of her ability to earn more income Mm -hmm. vis-a-vis the new opportunity that we created or others created. But when it comes to economic empowerment, we are looking at very softer indicators. Okay. In addition to, of course, looking at the additional income. So she is now able to spend more money on, let's say, if she's a mother and she can have better nutrition for her sure. children, for instance, sure. or better clothing or whatever that is needed. So that's another important indicator that so she's able to make that decision to spend the money mm-hmm. wherever it is needed within Got the it. household. So she's, But I think more importantly, because of that ability, she is now equal partner on making any decision at the household level. Right. Vis-a-vis is a decision to purchase a new car, for instance, or any asset or anything. You know, I'm just being at the household level at this point. So what are the enablers there for women? Now she's in a better bargaining position. Sure compared to her partner or if she's not married, compared to other male members, say, for instance. Sure. So because we are still living in a patriarchal society, so it's either brother or father or husband. So these are the usual figures who make decisions. Yeah. So we are looking at an impact where she is, if not more empowered to take those decisions, but an equal partner in those household decisions. So I think those are the indicators we are looking at, in addition to the increased incomes, her bargaining power, and how actively she's actually a partner in decision-making. It's really fascinating because you talk about how when you're measuring empowerment, it's this combination of softer targets, but really it's these qualitative targets that actually speak much more from a volume standpoint point than even the quantitative. So I think that's a fascinating point. Mm -hmm. I want to rewind for a second. You were talking about the patriarchy of the societies that you're working in. And obviously, particularly for CDF, because our mandate is primarily focused on the LDCs, the least developed countries, I think it'd be really interesting to hear about the specific challenges. And obviously, the LDCs are not a monolith. But what are the challenges country by country, culture by culture, that really create barriers in terms of women? women's economic empowerment. You already discussed one of them just about the general patriarchy of these communities. But if you could go a little further. I mean, there's so many factors. It's incredible out there. But I think when it comes to factors related to women's economic empowerment, I'm just going to stick in that sphere. Absolutely. So, of course, there are in different regions, there are different cultural barriers to start with the understanding of what women can do and Mm -hmm. cannot do beyond the household. Sure. So in a lot of like stricter societies where we are working or helping are the ones which may not necessarily encourage those activities where women is actually engaged in economic activity, which allows her to go outside of the Mm -hmm. household. 
Yeah. So in some countries, then women groups come together as part of a society or some kind of group which helps her to navigate that hurt. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, if that is not there as an individual, it's just hard for her to go out and do business sure. like any other would do. So we are also trying to change kind of mindset at that level. I think that's a very important constraint for mm-hmm. women. Yeah. And the second is mobility. Sure. Mobility in the sense that there's not easy infrastructure available or gender responsive infrastructure. I think it would be fascinating to just unpack that element of gender responsive infrastructure. Yeah, please. So each society again has different constraints and problems, mm-hmm. but I think safety safety is a major major challenge for women. Okay. From going point A to B, whether she feels safe in using public transport for instance mm-hmm. whether she feels safe going by herself if she's renting a taxi or any other transport or even if she's driving whether it's it's a safe environment for her yeah. to drive so there's like a basic necessities where men won't even think about it but women has to sure and then that's why one of the major restrictions families put on her is that whether is it safe for her to go they restrict her mobility, mobility. for safety purposes safety purposes right. mostly safety purposes sure. in some traditional cultures of course it's like what would other people would say what and all that's say? another debate but we want but mobility right. yes is a major one so creating the access that kind of infrastructure sure. working with the governments on creating a safe transportation for women is key and then also i think in some some areas where public infrastructure is not available like you know maybe, maybe there are no especially in rural areas we're working there's mm-hmm. definitely no public infrastructure available in right. terms of transport for women mm-hmm. so they are often with their the farm produce or whatever burden of things that they have to take from one place to mm-hmm. others they are on their foot most of the time yeah so there's also these barriers of like time constraints she has to walk for hours and sure. hours to get to the nearest market to sell farm produce for instance sure. so it's a major constraint for them because there's not even a government provided like a van or something that you know group of farmers can use so we're also trying to enable that major constraint especially in Africa where we're working the nearest town would be hours and hours away yeah. but that's the only way where she can actually sell some produce yeah. and most of the time what happens is like she's take carrying this produce walking hours and hours she goes there and then the middleman who's buying because of so much competition there's so many women who are selling so yeah. you know she doesn't get the right price and then she doesn't want to take all that weight again back home so she end up selling for truly no price right. because she doesn't have any other source store or sure. keep it somewhere so that she can come back next day so those are the constraints we are actually trying wow. to address i mean these are the practical realities we are dealing especially in the ldcs right. and when you think about it i mean we can easily solve this but those are some of the problems that women are women have to go through sure. and i mean it was incredible when i went to some of the rural areas in Tanzania for the first time that you will not see any men working no you, men working no men <laughs> in the field because it's all agriculture right these are all agriculture right. based economies i mean they're working in urban areas like or semi urban in markets and sure. all that but on in the farms yeah. it was all women all women all women right so these women are working hard producing products bringing to market and then what happens that they don't even own this land right 
because of the country regulation, legislation, whatever it is, sometimes patriarchy that we talked about earlier or other constraints, she's not allowed to own land. Sure. And land is the biggest asset. We all know that. Of course. It's true for any region. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Land is such an important asset in women's economic empowerment or economic development generally. Sure. So that just, it doesn't help her to go from point A to B. Right. She's always stuck at at point A. Sure. That's, wow. Thank you for that. I want to go a little bit into now the program that you helped to lead, IELD. And I want to ask two questions. Number one, obviously, the focus is at the local level. And so... What is the role that local governments can play in terms of advancing women's economic empowerment? And then a large part of your strategy is actually on the investment side. So how do you identify investments that have that capability to drive women's economic empowerment? Or how do you have the capability to shape those investments? So Mm -hmm. the local development and then on the Mm -hmm. investment side, Mm -hmm. yeah. Very important and interesting questions, David. So on the local government side, I mean... We just talk about some of the ways structure barriers, right? It's not something that can be addressed by local people or household. Yeah. These are barriers that local governments have to intervene. Mm-hmm. Access to land. Yeah. Land ownership. Mm-hmm. There has been so much advocacy. There has been so much groundwork in terms of changing policies in all these places for many, many, many years. But it's not been happening because this is something that government has to intervene. Mm-hmm. And then government also has a major role to play in creating more opportunities for women mm-hmm. on the economic front. Sure. What we see through these investment projects is that usually local governments are not, especially in the areas where we're working, they are also poor. Mm-hmm. They don't have a lot of economic resources themselves. Right. So they tend to prioritize which project they're going to be investing. Mm-hmm. So it sometimes it usually is based on whoever has the more negotiating power, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. women's economic empowerment is always seen as as entity or as a priority area which doesn't require too much resources. You can open some capacity building center or here and there. So it's always small investments. Yeah. So nobody, when it comes to like infrastructure development, for instance, or building a new SME mm-hmm. or enhancing an SME for agribusinesses, for instance, so nobody thinks about putting women at the center. Right. So those are some of the entry points where local government has a role to play. Sure, sure. Because they are the ones who negotiate to bring those financing, whether it's a development partner, even CDF, or whoever they're working with or coming from central. Right. The resources are coming from central. So they are the ones who prioritize and they are the ones who channel it to different types of investments. Okay. So we help that negotiation, but also for them to understand that if they are investing in a gender-responsive uh, infrastructure, it's a win-win situation sure. for everybody. And sure. we have actually put those models out there. We have shown that how it's done. Right. So there's a lot of realization it's coming. I mean, people are understanding. Yeah. But at the same time, that's not the first thing that local governments would think. So there's a lot of hand-holding, capacity building for them to understand. So all those different pieces, we work on those. Right. Uh, so that's part of the TA and... TA advocacy. being technical assistance. Technical yeah. assistance and advocacy. Sure. We do. And then uh, the, on your second question please. on the investment side, yeah. what type of investment? I think that's what you are saying. Right? Yeah. And just the strategy, how do you approach it? So we want to make sure that whatever projects that we're investing, mm-hmm. it's locally owned. It is coming from 
local need mm-hmm. so everything is rooted in that mm-hmm. notion yeah so that's why there's a whole theory of change behind how we identify and approach mm-hmm. these investments yeah we want to look at what is it that is driving women's economic empowerment in a particular location yeah. all right so we start with a local economic assessment that gives us an idea of the sectors where women are predominantly mm-hmm. working yeah we know i mean the notion sometimes it comes like yeah they are mostly agri based economies but that's not the case in other countries it could be some other sectors so we cannot just presume so we have to start with a intelligence gathering looking at the evidence yeah so that helps us to see where we need to invest so that's our entry point yeah yeah and then we do very openly call for proposals for the investment projects both from the private sector side as well as the ppp side yeah. to see government led in small infrastructure projects so that's our way of identifying opportunities for us right sometimes local governments that we are partnering with in the target districts that we are working in they also identify potential projects sure so we also go through that route as well in terms of investing in those areas sure because we know for sure that this is something coming from the government coming from the partners who are invested in local economic development. Right. Okay, so you're identifying the opportunities and then you're also soliciting the opportunities with a clear call to action relating to women's economic empowerment. Exactly. Yes. I think one of the challenges for us is identifying missing middle. Yeah, missing middle. Missing middle is has been a major problem especially in rural Africa and even in Asia as and well. And can I interject really quickly? Missing middle is it's a concept we often talk about in UNCDF and it's where small medium-sized enterprises are too large for micro for finance capital too risky for domestic banks and too small for larger institutional investors or development finance institutions is that right yes okay great thanks if you look at women's economic development many years decades last two decades so much work has been done on the microfinance side mm-hmm. with micro enterprises yeah so we are trying to interject in that area where our investments are actually effective in terms of creating those opportunities right. but also they are more like a innovative model sure. that can be used by other partners who are interested in investing in similar opportunities sure. because if you look at the amount of funding that is going for women's economic empowerment it's enormous yeah i think this year Canada and G7 put like 2.7 billion or something right. like that. So right. there's a lot of money which is being invested in this area. Right. But the challenge here is how do we know which is the most viable opportunity to invest which will actually create more opportunities. Sure. So it I think those questions are being asked and everybody's talking about missing middle. Everybody's saying we are going to be creating those opportunities but at the same time if we just focus on the ldcs you won't find missing middle you won't find those developed or semi developed smes it's very difficult to right. see because they have not been given those opportunities for them to scale up their businesses right. it's still micro small level right so i think how do you balance both of them it's going to be a challenge for these entities who are entering into this space sure and we have learned by doing we learned that if you are only sticking with women owned SMEs especially in this area they're going to be smaller more number of opportunities or smaller they're in size smaller businesses smaller yeah smaller businesses they are i mean they tend to be small sure. because that's how the reality is yeah. i mean we did find some 
middle SMEs when we did the corporate proposal. But it's not easy to find yeah. if you go in a, in a rural area, sure. right? So we looked at the scope of our projects to go beyond women-owned. So we say women-owned as well as gender-responsive SMEs. So it could be owned by a man, but there has to be certain criteria. Mm-hmm. You know, women are part of the governance and leadership structure of the company, for mm-hmm. instance. It's benefiting mostly women, farmers, or the employees are mostly women, things like that, like yeah. general criteria. So I think that those are some of the important entry points for us. Yeah. And we are trying to promote that with our other partners who are interested in investing. We are saying that there's so much need. And there are also these small agribusinesses, for instance. Mm-hmm. How do you help them to develop these clusters? And sure take it to the next level so there's so many opportunities so but if you just keep on investing like small in these small companies microfinance type of investment those companies are going to just stay the way they are right and you won't have that transformative effect exactly and one thing i just also want to add is that we not only bring the financing but the ta the ta technical support yeah and engaging the local partners. Sure. That's why local governments are so important because sure. they are the ones who create that enabling environment. Sure. If they are not helping those SMEs that we finance right. and we provide a technical support in terms of the linkages that are needed. Because yeah. in those rural areas, it's not like they have the best technology and they have the internet to connect with people and they, right. they know who to contact. So local governments play an important role. Sure. And local private sector plays an important role. So that's why we engage them a lot in our... Project. This is all fascinating. I mean, I, I would love to keep talking. Uh, we're going to wind this down. We are in the second to last question. And it's the same second to last question that I've asked all of our guests so far, which is, if you wouldn't mind sharing over a few moments, just tell us about the journey that brought you to UNCDF. I think I was always interested in working in economic development sphere. I knew for sure. I studied economics. I also went to London School of Economics to have more specialized training in economic development. And my first job was also rural development Mm -hmm. linked to economic development area. So it just happened that my career path progressed in that manner. And for me, I think when I look at myself and the people that I know who have benefited from developing herself economically, it just not only that you have empowerment and you make decisions, and we talked about in the first question earlier, but at the same time, I feel like this is the way to reduce discrimination and inequality against women. This is the best way to do it. I mean, you can change the laws, all of those softer side things that we need to do enabling environment. But at the same time, unless a woman is economically empowered, nothing is going to change. Right. So I think that that was a notion that I started my study economics and my first job and leading up to where I am. So that's been my stories. But I started with this international NGO, Aga Khan Foundation. Yeah. So I started as a researcher there in a rural area in Pakistan, up in the mountains. And then I moved here to work with UNDP on the MDGs monitoring implementation. The Millennium Development Goals. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. And then with UN Women on a global program on financing for gender equality. Mm-hmm. So I think that kind of leads up nicely into where I am now. So that helps me look at the program management side, but also I think more importantly, the content of what it means sure. financing and investing in gender equality. Sure. But I think with CDF, it's much more, I would say, focused and specific work because we are looking at investments within women's economic empowerment area that's bringing both my interests together. So 
Thank you. And you've worked in all three agencies mm-hmm. that IELD is comprised of. It's definitely pride worthy. I want to close with, you know, I think the natural inclination is to end on a positive note or to end on an optimistic note. But I actually would like to go in reverse here. And obviously, women's economic empowerment is not only uh, a critical interest in and of its own right, but it's tied to the SDGs. And obviously, as we know, the SDGs are tied to this deadline of 2030 for achievement. So I guess my final question is, if we haven't achieved or made significant progress in the area of women's economic empowerment over the next 10 years... And it's an odd question to ask. What do you think that would have been attributable to? What would have been, or asked in a different way, what is the greatest challenge that exists today that would prevent us from making significant strides, if not achieving women's economic empowerment in a fundamental way by 2030? I mean, constraints are unique to different regions. And there are different types of constraints. But generally, I think there's this wave of conservatism that is pretty much all over the world Mm -hmm. these days. I think it has, in many ways, it just creates that not a suitable environment for women to feel or engage freely in economic activity. I mean, that's true. Like a chilling effect almost. It does, yeah, it does. I mean, it kind of impacts all spheres of gender equality, but I think especially for economic development because that requires, as we said earlier in the first question, that requires such an enabling environment for women to freely work and feel empowered to the extent that she feels like I can do this, I can also, you know, like this is all our ambition. Yeah. Whether she can put herself and say, I can do this, a man can think about any job or anywhere, like those possibilities, I just feel like their possibility is there, but in terms of perception Perception. of women or her feeling that I can do that because of the shrinking, maybe enabling environment, it's a big threat. I feel like some regions are more at risk than others. So we don't want any reversal on all the economic gains that happened since 60s, 70s. I mean, there's so much that has been done. And there's always a risk that we may lose some of those. I mean, just think about the women's access to family planning, for instance. Sure, sure. That's a major constraint. Sure. And in many places, there's, because of increasing restrictions, it does not allow women to be as flexible in terms of Of going back to work or continuing work or even starting work because of those constraints. So I think we need to create that enabling environment. Otherwise, we may see a reversal in all the gains that we have seen. That is a powerful and important message to close on. Thank you so much for giving us your time and for your thoughts on what is a very important issue. Samina Anwar, Program Manager for the Inclusive and Equitable Local Development Program that is shared among UNDP, UN Women, and of course the United Nations Capital Development Fund. This has been an episode of Capital Musings, the official podcast of the United Nations Capital Development Fund. Our producers are Carlos Macias, Victoria Garidi, and Fernando Zarauz. Thank you so much. And We'll talk soon.